Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatch Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Not only are you a fellow automotive journalist and my good friend, you're also my tech support this week, as I struggle to figure out what's going on with my microphone. For some random reason, things don't work out the way they should from week to week. For some random reason, Windows likes to bury options inside of other options that have nothing to do with the problem you're dealing with, so... Um, I knew we should have stuck to Linux this I, whole time. We've been doing Linux for 250 episodes, and then we got adventurous, and we're like, let's let's switch to Windows, and what a horrible mistake that has proven to be. <laughs> I, I heard about this new upstart, Microsoft, and I thought that would be, we should we should give these guys a, sh- a all chance. The kids nope. are talking, all the kids are talking about Microsoft. We're going next right week, back to, to Linux. Next week, we're going to do a QNX-based podcast, and we'll see how that goes. Please. So as you heard my friend Ben, he is uh, very knowledgeable about a bunch of things. You can find his work all over the internet. Um, ben, why don't you tell them, not just the internet, on book stands and stuff, right? Book stands, yeah. All over the book stands. Um, tell them where they can find your work. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And occasionally at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca. Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, and uh, apparently I'm in, I'm in Wheels.ca, or, or the Toronto Star's Wheels section now. So, hey. Why do you say cool. that so disparagingly? Sammy has an opinion column <laughs> in, in the Toronto Star, don't, which is pretty don't cool. Don't tell people. They were like, Sammy, we want to print your opinion. And he was like. Which is insane. Which was, is absolutely insane to me. Will you give me money to do that? And they said, of course. And that's how capitalism happens. I was expecting um, other items, like furs and. Uh, Pelts. And, and like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pelts. I thought pelts would be really handy. Well, the pelts, the, they weren't asking for your opinion about a 1700s based economy. I think, I think they were more interested in cars. So, which is too, which is a shame. But we do have a lot of car stuff to talk about this week. No pelts. Well, no pelts. Ah, uh, maybe. No maybe pelts. We have no masters. Pelts. Oof. Um, but before we get to that, Ben, how you doing? You doing okay? I'm. I'm all right. You're ready for this? I feel very ready. Because we've got some pretty big. Pretty big things to talk about here. Well, As my voice gets higher pitched. <laughs> I don't think we them. can. I don't think we can top that pitch. I think that's <laughs> max pitch uh, we've ever had on the podcast. But you're right. Big things is is the correct way to describe what we're talking about because uh, I recently drove a vehicle. I'm really not sure how I feel about, and that's the 2022 Cadillac Escalade V, Sammy. Now, it's not fair for everyone else to hear your unfinished opinion of this car, but you've had a lot of time to try to form this, this feel, these feelings. Well, I've so... definitely formed some feelings, but... <laughs> but you're not sure if they're positive or negative, it sounds like. Here's the thing. I'm a long-time yeah. V owner. I like the formula of powerful engine, small car, good handling, right? Which is kind of what I thought Escalade... Sorry, which kind of what I thought V was all about. Now... And I have, actually, I have to pause you for a minute... V as like a name, a nomenclature, just sounds right. V, like you know, if you ever had a friend whose name started with a with a V, you could call, you could feasibly call them V forever, right? And they'd be. I cool suppose. With I cool. mean, it's kind of disrespectful, but you. Can. Oh yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but uh, it, as time has gone on, V has kind of molded into different things. We have the uh, mm-hmm. CT5 V and CT4 V, which we got a couple years ago, and those are. Cars that are somewhat faster than the base model, but aren't really the full-on hardcore performance. They and are the, the Type S of, of V, right? Sure, sure. And we had <laughs> V Sport before that, which is kind of a similar thing. And now we have Escalade V, which makes you... There's also Blackwing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's there's yeah. a whole bunch of V nomenclature. So for Escalade V, you you could be forgiven for thinking this is a, an Escalade that can actually handle. Um, oh, was, would I be mistaken in that? I would have just imagined it would have been a more powerful Escalade. Okay, which to so, me, hard to imagine because I think the normal one makes like 450 horsepower or something. I think it's 460 or 420. It's it's in oh, there. You've always got to one-up me. I'm always wrong according to Ben. It's in one of those. It's, I think it actually might be 420 horsepower. I think it's the regular 6.2. Okay. But the Escalade V, so you're right, Sammy. It is a more powerful Escalade. It takes that 4.2 liter engine. And it adds a supercharger. In fact, it's the same 6. motor. 6.2. 6.2. So, sorry, you yeah. said 4.2. Okay, 6.2. Sorry. Um, Aha, I'm back at it. You're back. You're back in the game. Yes. Um, it takes that. It's the same engine you'd find in the CT5V Blackwing, which is a vehicle that exists, except it actually has more power. This is the most powerful street Cadillac that has ever been produced. Six, ever? Six, wow. Yeah, 682 horses and 653 pound-feet of torque. Whew. That's just a little bit more than the the Blackwing sedan. 
Um, the supercharger has more displacement, and that's where they're getting the the extra grunt. It weighs sixty two hundred pounds. I'm sorry, what? Excuse you? Is this, did you forget a number again? Somewhere? No, it is. Did you make a mistake. It is sixty two hundred pounds. That is a uh, very heavy vehicle, and okay. the crazy thing is, it still does zero to sixty in four point three seconds. That's unbelievable. Okay, hold on. So I was right about one thing, saying it's got more power than a regular Cadillac. And it's not just more power. It's like 50% more power. It is the most power, I think, is probably... <laughs> the, the thing that really... Uh, so, But in addition to that, a V should have other enhancements than just power, right? I agree be... with you, and it doesn't. It, what it, do you mean it doesn't? Come it, on. It looks a little different. It has some different styling cues. Uh, there are, there's, I believe a slightly different tune for the air suspension. It, it, it goes a little bit lower when it's in V mode. Cause there's a V button on the steering wheel. I think it's on the steering wheel. If I remember correctly, it might be on the center console anyway, it, it, but it doesn't have like the, the same breadth of controls and suspension settings and all sorts of stuff. Like you would see on the other V models from Cadillac. It's okay. very much a V button. You push that, it gets louder in the exhaust. It does the different suspension thing. Um, but and this is air suspension too, right? Like yeah. Not it, it. used to have magnetic ride. Control, it has right? magnetic magnet ride. The, 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 oh. the magnet ride is for the shocks, and the the yeah. the air springs are are the air suspension. Um, I believe magnet ride is a little bit is a little bit tweaked specifically for mm-hmm. the V. But the other weird thing is like the, so. As I was saying, that's that's pretty much it, right? Like there's nothing else. It, it even comes on all season tires. Ooh, that's a, that's a big no no in my books. Was yeah. Six hundred and eighty horsepower. It's, that it's, sounds wrong. That doesn't sound like a good fit. They're relying on the all-wheel drive system to kind of take care of all of that. That's um, not possible, especially with as heavy as it is. That, you know, all-wheel drive systems don't help with braking or cornering. No, or. and I also drove the uh, ESV, which is like the extended wheelbase version. So it's... it's, oh, it's of course. <laughs> it's super huge. It's got big brakes as well, I guess you could say. Um, I don't okay. know how much bigger they are than the standard V, but... But big. I mean, everything in this vehicle must be large. There yeah. shouldn't be a single item that is that is classified as normal or or small. So the thing that really hit me the most about driving this vehicle, especially with the acceleration that it has, is it really feels like Cadillac's answer to EV um, SUVs that are out there. Like, okay. this is... It's got comparable speed when you put it up against, like, an F-150 Lightning. It's a dead match from 0 to 60, uh, the wow. the EV is uh, the EV F150 is 500 pounds heavier. It, it'll beat the Cadillac to the end of the quarter mile. The Cadillac does 12.7, which is really fast. That's insane. The, the F150 Lightning is a little bit quicker, but this is it's also pretty much the same speed as a as an iX XDrive 50, which we talked about already on the podcast. So yeah, if you and there have, is a faster version of the extra the yeah. iX. So yeah. if you imagine the instant on torque of an EV, that's kind of what you're getting from the Cadillac, except with a crazier soundtrack and insane fuel mileage. Like, it, it does, it gets very poor fuel economy. Let's just put it there. Yeah. Um, it also has a 10-speed transmission. Not the best, not terrible. It's it's a little bit clunkier than the similar 10 speeds from, say, Toyota, which we've talked about okay. in the past. Yeah. Um, but really, the big takeaway for me when driving this is like, Okay, so now I have a, a three-ton sledgehammer that goes super quick in a straight line. It also, on the highway, passes at highway speeds very mm-hmm. fast. And and that's pretty much it. That's the whole conversation you're having with this vehicle. There's nothing... That's fine, because, like, there's so many other high-performance SUVs out there. I mean, we, we started with, like, Trackhawks or SRT versions of the, Cher- of the Grand Cherokee. And then there were, like, BMW X5M or Mercedes S63, uh, GLS 63s, right? Yeah. So this is like the answer to those, right? They're no, not it's not. Cars. It's not though. It's not the answer to those because this this drives nothing like those vehicles. Each of the vehicles you just mentioned, you could take to a racetrack and it's turn right. in. Really? You could turn in a hot lap, and you would be fine. If you took a this, GLS sixty three, I would like to see that. If you if we have a listener with a GLS or an R sixty three ready to take it on the track, send me an send X five M. Is not bad yeah. on the track, and neither is a trackhawk. They're a lot smaller. But the, with with the Cadillac, yes. with this with this extended wheelbase Cadillac, if you put this on a racetrack, you're in trouble. Like <laughs> especially on these tires. I don't know how many laps you would get before the tires were completely dead. Um, not to mention, to me, the brakes are the most terrifying thing. Sixty two hundred pounds. Yeah, sixty two. Doesn't 90. sound like it would stand <laughs> up to um, 
brakes from from high velocity you know what i mean no nothing in this vehicle really stands up once the road <laughs> starts to introduce things like corners and areas where you need to come to a complete stop it's Jeez. it's not a enthusiast vehicle anywhere but in a straight line and in the sound that it makes when when you're accelerating so my, my that is such a huge we're gonna go i'm gonna get a little like uh, t- tangential here because you did mention the evs EVs, we get concerned about how they feel as as performance vehicles because they take off um, fairly quickly and they have a lot of weight. But I'm not sure that you get that same uneasiness that you're 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 kind of explaining here. Oh, I Although, get it. Then again, I get an uneasiness. But that that then the again, Audi... we none of the EVs that we've driven have touted themselves as sort of like a track brand, right? Well, I mean, the Audi e-tron GT is definitely a vehicle that made me uneasy with how fast it was. GTRS, I think you drove, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was an extremely quick vehicle. But, uh, you know, th- this this is not an enthusiast vehicle, and it is an enthusiast vehicle at the same time, because the word enthusiast has come to describe someone who enjoys all aspects of driving. Like, they like going fast in a straight line, they like cornering, they like great braking, they like a car that, you know, they, they like a good overall experience, and that includes handling. But you could be an enthusiast and only care about drag racing. Right, and if that's if that's you, then the Escalade V is for you. Like, but, but this is not a drag car. You're not going to take it to a drag strip, are you? You that could. Sounds, I mean, it, that it also sounds like an awful idea to me. Twelve seven is very quick, you know, for it a sounds street car. Too big. It sounds too too heavy. But to... that's all it has. That's all it has. Which begs the question: Why would you buy this vehicle for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which I think is like twice the price of a base Escalade? When you can get all of the luxury that's in this vehicle with still pretty damn good power from the base motor. Hmm. it's To me, that's the ultimate challenge of this vehicle's existence. Finding the customer that wants what it has to offer at the price it's offering it. But the thing I like the most about the Escalade is the customer. I think I, I actually really appreciate the Cadillac customer who gets the Escalade because it is a... I think it's a class-leading vehicle. It's a class-defining vehicle in many ways. People want an Escalade. They go to Cadillac for the Escalade. I, I know that there's a bunch of other models that are, are pretty good, but when you want to get a Cadillac, there should be only one vehicle at the top of the list that says Cadillac, and that's the Escalade. No other brand does what the Escalade does. Right? Now, if we flip that around, mm-hmm. there is another vehicle that does what the Escalade V does, and I would argue does it better, and that's the Alpina XB7. Okay, possibly. And I think there might be some more. Um, But the Alpina has this thing that's like brand recognition is not there, I think. Sure. But if you wanted to look at the overall driving experience, it's extremely quick. It handles much better. It has three rows. I put an um, Alpina XB7 on the track. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not as ponderous as this vehicle, and it doesn't get. I don't think it gets 13 miles per gallon. I I, <laughs> I did a road trip in an XB7, and I don't remember taking out a second mortgage on my home to do that. So yeah. Um, this is just an odd one for me. Like, I want Cadillac to, to succeed. This kind of feels like a vehicle that either should have appeared way earlier in the V mm-hmm. story for Cadillac back when they were trying to find their feet. Or maybe never appeared at all. Um, it it kind of comes across as a last gasp before the yeah. Escalade goes fully electric. And if that's yeah. the case, then fine. I mean, this is a very small volume vehicle that they're going to turn a great profit on. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should be driving an, a, a giant SUV very quickly and expect it to be great. Um, but the fact is there are options outside of the Escalade V that are better. So mm-hmm. that kind of puts it in a weird spot. I, I agree with those um, those sentiments, I think. Um, it is it is interesting, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, that I, I think you're right. They should have they should have brought this earlier. And if they were going to do it today, fresh, clean sheet of paper, it would be electric or, or a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid, right? Like maybe. They have the techno- technology for that. I mean, it's so heavy though, in which case adding electric components won't make that big of a of a won't won't make that big of an impact like negative impact right i mean i guess it has only positive benefits except for range sure i mean is 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 the v customer looking for electrification i don't know but if you if you start to ask who the v customer is and you put a black wing beside the escalade v these are not similar experiences no so it's 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 odd but now that's the the next question, right? Is like, 
is this the stepping stone to a to an Escalade Blackwing? Oh man. So where do you go power wise? I mean, you're already nearly at 700 horsepower. So if you're going to charge, it's $150,000. How much can you realistically charge for an Escalade V Black? You can, the sky, I think the sky is the limit for an Escalade. Truly. I really do believe okay. that the customer of, of an Escalade can spend as much as they want to spend on an Escalade. So now we're talking about, let's say a, a $200,000 Escalade. I mean, yeah. what does that do for you? What, what does it, what do you, what would you need out of a $200,000 Escalade to justify that price? I, I, it needs to be a bit better than the V. A bit <laughs> Basically, better. yes. It needs to be 50 grand better than a V. So you're saying 800 horsepower and incredible handling. I don't know if I don't know if you can make it incredible handling. Okay. Right? Okay. <laughs> would you Just want an 800 one. power? Yeah. Would you want an I, 800 horsepower Escalade with only mediocre handling? <laughs> look, if it was 800 horsepower and had I don't know summer tires, then we're talking, right? Like it had some sort of performance tire, we'd be on the on the on the same page. You know what I mean? I don't think I need to be behind the wheel of an 800 horsepower Escalade under any circumstances. But I, I mean, we've been behind the wheel of 700 horsepower cars in the Trackhawk. It's not. The that it's not the that the trackhawk is an order of magnitude smaller than an escalade it is one magnitude smaller one it's magnitude one mag it is one you know it is a uh, thousand pounds yeah. lighter and significantly shorter so <laughs> <laughs> so okay so that's a half ton okay. doesn't mean anything that's true um is there a Wagoneer? I think that they're getting ahead of a Wagoneer, a, a Hellcat-powered Grand Wagoneer. Okay, that is in, in <laughs> itself a terrifying concept. I do not well, it need... It sounds plausible. <sighs> I but I, I truly do believe, this is Cadillac saying, this is the last time we're making a a, um, a gas-powered, oh, a solely gas-powered um, Escalade in the next sure. vision of their, um, of their Escalade, which is their Halo product or their flagship product, will not only be electric, but they set the benchmark for themselves with this product, and it will have to be better than this. That's a that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I mean, if they want to if they want to have pricing that's anywhere near this, mm -hmm. they definitely will have to. But um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Wagoneer because Wagoneer is moving away from its V8 and towards a twin turbo six. That's Hurricane. the that's Hurricane. yeah is that, that is called? that's the future for Wagoneer. So I don't think we're going to see a, a Hellcat at all and. Uh, it's, it's a different philosophy than what we're seeing here with the Escalade. I mean, I get it because GM's all about the pushrod V8s, and they do very well with that. And I I, I like the 6.2 as a motor. Um, mm. It's just, yeah, this vehicle did not speak to me. It's it's not an experience that I want. And I, I, I guess that's the price. I find so interesting. I yeah. really do. Because I've seen you in um, other SUVs that are massive. I think you've been in a Bentayga before, right? A sure. Bentayga. Bentayga's nowhere near this big. They're now making a long wheelbase version of it. I'm just saying. Uh, and and I, and I personally own and that's, a hot rod V8 swapped SUV. <laughs> yeah, know? but that weighs, that weighs, that doesn't weigh this much. No, it? it's no. 2,000 pounds less. <laughs> yes. So it's crazy. So that's, that's 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 pretty much all I have to say. I think about the Escalade. I've got to I've got to I've got to keep talking about this though because the Escalade has expanded beyond what I think is reasonable. It is far too large of a vehicle like practical wise practically wise it is too big now yeah I, now I imagine could not that drive it anywhere and right? now imagine that with you know 700 horsepower and you'll understand what i'm talking about you'll understand my hesitation in terms mm -hmm. of embracing the escalade v am i still wrong like it is way too large for a city driving commute oh definitely it's absolutely enormous were you ever worried about like uh, garages you were worried about everything. Garages? No, I don't park in garages when I have a truck. I, I try not to park in garages in general. Um, okay. I, I prefer street parking, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, and like blind spots or pillars or, you know. Sure. The, all that stuff. I, the gravitational effects on children on the sidewalk. All these things are concerns when you're driving an Escalade. I remember. I'm, I truly remember. I think like A pillar or B pillar in that car is so big that it can hide full full on vehicles or people like it's insane how big yeah but you just push the gas pedal and then all go away sammy <laughs> um anything one hundred fifty thousand dollars as equipped or that's when it that's when it starts at i think that's the only price i'm not okay. sure if there are any options and one of the things that caught our attention with the with the last time that we've driven um escalades are is the technology that's in it it used to have this really cool uh curved screen in the in the on the dash. Yeah, is that still of course you know, good? All that's in there. But what I was saying no, is No, what I want to know is it still good? Like has time has time 
treated those features nicely. Have no, been yeah, used it's to... it's fine. My my entire point is a regular Escalade is as good as the Escalade V. The only thing it doesn't have is stupid amounts of horsepower that you're never going to use, or you're going to use once, scare the crap out of yourself, and then never use again. <laughs> okay, I got you. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the car that I drove, the SUV that I drove? Sure. Is it also frightening and and extremely expensive? It is fairly expensive, but I don't think it's frightening. Um, although, you know, some people might think otherwise. The vehicle I drove is the penultimate Range Rover product. It's called the Range Rover Sport. I think that's the best way to describe it. It sits below the full-size Range Rover and above the Velar in terms of positioning. Um, and that's hard for me to define because I don't know whether or not you'd call this like a, a mid-size or a full-size SUV. But uh, segments are just a uh, fiction, of, uh, a fragment of our imagination. It's right? really hard to see where it fits in alongside the regular Range Rover, which is... But it's been like that forever, right? Supposedly bigger, but I don't know if it actually is. <laughs> so all you need to know, the Sport is supposedly a little bit more agile and a tiny bit smaller um, in the past, the Sport has been offered with a third row, and the full-size model was only available in two rows. I'm not making that up. I'll say it again. The Sport used to have the smaller product used to have three rows of seating. The bigger product had two. That has now changed. You can't get the Sport with a three-row uh, setup. You can get the full-size Range Rover with three rows, as well as the extended wheelbase. Now, I can I can tell you why, Sammy. The uh, because but- that makes sense. No, because Range Rover, or I guess Land Rover, did some research, I guess, 10 years ago. And they discovered that anyone who owned a Range Rover, the full-size one, it was one of, like, five to a dozen cars that that person owned. But whoever owned a Range Rover Sport, it was usually their only car. So that's why they put the third-row seat in for the the Range Rover Sport, because it it needed to be more versatile for those owners. Yeah, Uh, and I I agree with this. It's a different customer profile. I will say, despite the uh, the new um, setup with the with the two rows of seating, which I think is fairly good, um, there are some interesting things that have happened to the Range Rover Sport, including the addition of a mild hybrid powertrain. I drove a a model known as the First Edition that featured a um, a 4.4 liter BMW sourced V8, and I also drove a new plug-in hybrid, which really impressed me in in a couple of ways. So. First of all, let's talk about the design. It is a very evolutionary design. Um, it looks like a Range Rover Sport. It looks pretty good. There are some items on the uh, on the exterior that I thought would be functional but aren't. Like, ju- just because that's what they've always had on the Range Rover Sport. So there are some some garnishes on the on the front hood that I think used to house vents. And now they're just plastic pieces, like actually hard plastic pieces. Well, they, they have to look make like... it look different from the big Range Rover somehow, right? Like there mm-hmm. has to be, there have to be these, these traditions. Yeah. And, and even in the back of the vehicle, you can see that they've put that like black um, stripe that, that runs the width of the, uh, of the taillights. And I think I've mentioned this before um, on the top of the vehicle, there's two shark fin antennas. And apparently this is because when they tried to put all the antennas in one, it overheated and did not work so well really (laughs) yeah i think i mentioned that in the range rover uh, yeah i think we were talking about that that was funny um so i drove all three of these powertrains i'll talk first um i drove the v8 model which is um i think it's known as the p530 which is an awful i you know nomenclature let's talk for a second about range rover and land rover and their inability to express what vehicle you're driving without using a complicated alphanumeric i have no idea what any of those numbers mean okay it's like when I I believe there's there's other companies that do that too. Like Audi has started putting like 55 and stuff on the back badge, um, for mm-hmm. for its vehicles. Cadillac does it too. Cadillac. I was about to say Cadillac does it too. None of these numbers mean anything to me. And I am in the business. <laughs> um, pretty good, pretty good um, vehicle. You know, you get the V8 because it sounds great. Um, the powertrain is relatively um good, um in in terms of carrying this vehicle. It is a fairly large vehicle like you mentioned before um i'm trying to get the right weight for it but i won't because that's the way (laughs) i I work really um i don't i don't know how much it weighs yes i do it weighs just shy of five thousand pounds okay um so a v8 um and that's a bmw source v8 it gets the job done it sounds great i think is the most important thing but the mild hybrid six-cylinder is um a turbo six, a three liter straight six. 
It sounds good, too. It feels a little bit lighter in the front end. It, res it responds really well, especially after having driven the V8. I think you get surprised at how good this mild hybrid um, six-cylinder is. And I was happy with that. And then I drove this plug-in hybrid, which I think is probably the smartest choice for the, the Range Rover. And they've done quite a lot to it. It has a 38 kilowatt hour battery, which is sub which is fairly large. It offers just shy of 50 miles of range, which I thought was really impressive um, compared to other plug-in hybrids. And then lastly, it offers DC fast charging, which is crazy for a plug-in hybrid. That is really crazy. So like, you but you're gonna laugh. You're gonna laugh at me here, okay? Because the max speed of that DC charging is 50 kilowatts. Why am I gonna laugh? Because it takes apparently nearly an hour to <laughs> to charge it with a DC fast charger. Hmm. So you're telling me, like, like let's let's take a step back from this and talk about 350 kilowatt charging, which is found on the Ionic and GV60. Now yeah. they're not similar vehicles, but they say if you could sustain that peak rate of 350, you would charge that vehicle from like I don't know 10 to 80 in 18 minutes. Okay. And this plug-in hybrid. Range Rover would still be sitting there. But what's the uh, zero to ten percent to eighty time on the thirty-eight kilowatt battery? It's they say the same. They said that's what I mean. Uh, under an hour, forty minutes, I believe. Okay, because I thought that was kilowatt. I thought that was to a hundred. I don't think it's to hundred. No, I don't think they. I, I think a hundred is is not advertised because you're not supposed to do it. So is it not really a fifty kilowatt charger? Like I'm, it is I'm, a fifty I'm kilowatt. I'm very confused. Why? Because I, that's how slow a fifty kilowatt charger is compared to say a three fifty kilowatt charger. Yeah, but I don't know. I I, I drove a, a Maki recently and I had it yeah. plugged into a fifty kilowatt charger. And, and it took in about an hour I went from I wanna say 20% to maybe 70% or 80%. And that's a much that's bigger exactly battery. That's in 80, yeah, I think they're what, 70 kilowatts or 80 kilowatt yeah, hour right battery? right around there. Yeah, so that's about 40 kilowatts, and that's about as big as this battery is. Okay, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's We're, we're getting there. Um, it is cool to have this. It, I, as far as I understand right now, it's the only plug-in hybrid with a DC fast charger connection. I think the other one will be the Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, which is to say I think more plug-in hybrids are going to get this this technology. Um, and in terms of performance, it's, it's pretty quick. This thing does 0 to 60 in 5.7, which is nice for a big vehicle this big. Um, and then, of course, the other thing to talk about with the um, Range Rover is just how capable it is off-road. And I think that's the killer feature. This is the main reason you would get a Range Rover any, over any of the competition, which I'm imagining would be like the X5 or maybe the Porsche Cayenne, which is a very expensive product in, in two vehicles there. that have moved away from off-roading capability and that yes. had it when they were first introduced i remember the cayenne yeah. had a low range transfer case even and we've got this here in, in this car as well um we've got uh, a very um a very ambitious uh, set of technology here i think we've discussed this in the past there are a ton of cameras around the range rover sport that allow you to really get a good idea of what's around the vehicle um and hopefully navigate your way through it if you're on a tough trail or does that or, mean it has the the transparent hood yes it does okay um which was really cool we used it um in, in we went on a trail in spain of all places and we were on some very very intimidating cliffside um off-road um adventures which is to say if we missed a if we slipped, it could have been very, very dangerous for everyone involved. Sammy, are you actually podcasting from the afterlife? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, I can't do Is that. Is this a Final Destination type of podcast? I hope not. I hope not. I hope not, too, because I'm not morally prepared to deal with that. I also want to talk to you about a feature that they boasted called... Um, Sammy, if I could go back in time and tell you not to go on this press trip so that you survived your cliff fall, I would do that. Just I want you to know that. Okay, thanks. Spirit of, um, Spirit of Sandy. But one, of the, one, of the, one of the features that helped me avoid my death is the, um, you're going to love this, adaptive off-road cruise control. Oh, hey, yeah. I mean, why am I off-roading? It's because I want to be reading the newspaper instead. I mean, these features kill me. And I know people are going to be like, Ben, what if you're on the trail for eight hours and you're just tired at the end of the day and this helps you out? Okay, yeah, I get it. But... Aren't you on the trail to be on the trail, Sammy? I don't know. I don't know if I've described this feature to you before, have I? I mean, I'm assuming it's similar to features that we've seen like this from um, 
I believe it was Toyota that came up with something similar, and I think Ford might have something like this too. Okay, well, in case we haven't fully described it, it is like cruise control for the trail. So basically you set a top speed, and then you set what is known as a comfort level, which is your <laughs> <laughs> how comfortable you want to be in the car. And then it will accelerate. It'll try to accelerate up to that speed that you've set. But due to all the sensors it has, it, if it detects that it's getting too rocky or if it's, you know, bouncing around too much, it'll automatically slow down the vehicle. Sammy, so, remind me again why we're driving off-road. Because I... <laughs> To get somewhere, not just for fun, to get somewhere. Really, where am I going? Where's James Bond going that he or she needs to um, not really – it's just, a, it's just a, a chore, basically. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So this so, is for you know, the gentle person farmer who is tired of driving around in their pasture and just wants to get it done with no fuss, no muss. In their Range Rover, of course. Imagine if, like, regular adaptive cruise control had a comfort level setting, a.k.a. the you could dial in how many demerit points you were comfortable getting on your license on your trip, and then it would be like Super Cruise. It would just go hog wild on the highway. I would love that. I think um, Genesis does something very close to this. Oh, you know, Sammy, now that we're talking about adaptive cruise control... There's an addendum I want to make to my Escalade V experience. Okay, um, now's, the, now's the time to do it, trust me. I, I had the updated version of Super Cruise. And as a result of that, uh, it had the newer feature where it will change lanes for you, which a previous version of Super Cruise I'd driven didn't do that. So if you pull Hold up on. behind... It changes lanes for you. Do you have to use the signal or no. it will do the signal? You can What? So there's two ways to do it. You can... The old school human interface way of yes. doing it, which is... You tap the signal, the vehicle checks beside you to see if there's anything there, and it changes lanes. But you can just leave it in adaptive cruise using Super Cruise with your hands off the wheel. It will come up behind traffic, detect that that traffic is going slower than you are, pull out to pass, pass the traffic, and pull back in front of it so that you maintain your speed. That is insane if that actually really works. It works almost all the time. There were two okay. inc- there were two incidents where one time it didn't properly work and the other time it it it, it disengaged while we were going around a corner and as Oh my god. And there was a giant pillar for a bridge support that was like right there and as soon as it disengaged it sounded a collision alarm and I was like what are you doing Escalade and I had to grab the wheel and and go straight. But you know it wasn't super dramatic because Cadillac's very very good probably the best in the business at showing you whether the system is on or not. It has a giant green bar at the top of the steering wheel. It is something that every automaker should consider doing instead of having a tiny icon buried on the gauge cluster. But it is alarming when it turns itself off and you're not expecting it. And in my experience, it turns it off. It is very eager to warn you about keeping your eye on the roads. That's my biggest fear about this is that if it's automatically changing lanes, I would want to check my blind spot and then it would be like, hey, keep your eyes on the road. It will it. let you it will let you look away like if you're if you are checking a blind spot. It knows that you're doing that. But th- so segueing back to the Range Rover, it's a very yeah. interesting point. Does it verify that you're paying attention when the off-road cruise control is, is active? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. The, I think that Super Cruise is one of the most formative technologies in the automotive industry. And it should be in in all of Chevy's products. It should be offered on all of Chevy's products. I think it's their killer feature. It's the only reason to get a product from General Motors. General Motors is to get one of those features. It's definitely um, it is definitely a game changer. I drove Blue Cruise immediately afterwards, which is the Ford version, and I have to say it is an inferior product. Okay, um, but back to this um, Range Rover. It has all those features that you kind of mentioned. It has a um, air suspension system. It has a dual valve um, dampers, um, which help it make sound, help it feel a little bit more um, confident on the road. It changes direction nicely. It feels large, though. I think that's one of the biggest um, detriments to the Range Rover Sport. Is unlike I think the X5, which can feel relatively small despite its actual size, you can feel really confident in it really quickly based on just how it feels and how it how it um, has a tight turning circle and how it accelerates and how you can fit into spots. I'm not sure that the Range Rover Sport feels the same way. Okay. If you catch my drift. Yeah, I do. And. I will say that I don't think it's as, as agile as those two competitors that I, I mentioned before, which is the X5 and the Cayenne. But the one thing that the Range Rover has over those two is just how good it is off-road. This really, really impressed me when it was going off-road. Both 
due to the wild technology that it has um, and just the amount of ground clearance and um, and just uh, effort like uh, like powertrain is just so good dialed in for going off road um, that it's comfortable and it's it's really easy to to handle itself out there. So the the previous generation of Range Rover Sport had been on the market for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Do you feel like the update thoroughly modernizes it, or is this kind of more of a casual update? I think this does thoroughly mod, uh, modernize it. This is the same platform that is found on the Range Rover, which I was really impressed with. I even drove the plug-in hybrid of that recently um, on the same event um, and was and fell in love with it again. And I think that this is a very compelling product. The only problem is, if it's done enough to sell more, I think is the biggest problem. It's done enough to differentiate itself from its its rivals, but I think they've also increased the price. This thing now starts at about eighty eight thousand, almost ninety thousand dollars. So that's that's the same as say something like a a base Escalade is right around there, like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you could get a LX six hundred from Lexus, which is a vehicle we're going to be talking about on the Huge. podcast soon. That's a huge truck. A huge truck, but also one that kind of counts itself in the in the off road space. Yep. Probably not as competent as the uh, Range Rover, but you know it's in it's in the conversation. Yes. So it is a. I don't think that's. A, I think that the old ones used to used to be cheaper than this. I might have to double check my my notes. Well, but... everything used to be cheaper, and then the pandemic uh, happened. So I don't. I don't really know what we can do about that. Okay. Um. And so. As as luxurious as I think the cabin is, I'm not sure that it's as sign. Like I said, I'm not sure. You'd have to really be in love with off being needing that confidence going off road. That for whatever reason the competition can't do. And and I actually think, you know, you can get an X5. I think with an off road package. I think you can get a Cayenne with. I mean, a Cayenne will will manage itself off on some gravel or some mud, or even some sand. I suppose. Um, I think you're really going to be worried when. The inclines or declines are super steep, super steep, or you have like uh, tight trails that you'll want the added technology of the Range Rover to help you. So, out. Wait, you're saying you don't like the interior? No, I do. I just don't think it's amazing sometimes. So um, compared to the Range Rover, pla- do you think it's because mm-hmm. the Range Rover has to have that much better of an interior in order to justify the price difference? I think that's a part of it. I also have to say that the Range Rovers that we drove were those SV models, which are really high end. Um, and almost twice the price of this this okay. Range Rover Sport. So, what about it, the autobiography like different... One Hundred Years of of England uh, colon the Gold Edition? Is there anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is yeah. There, is there a version of the Range Rover Sport like that? Not yet. I'm sure there will be. Um, and I think that's my biggest thought is that having driven this Range Rover Sport, I think an SV or an SVR product is is on the way. Okay. Um, I mean, they were moving a lot of, I see so many SVR Range Rovers. Yes. That's the dominant strain of Range Rover in Montreal. And I think you see that with the, um, with the Range Rover Sport autobiography as well. Um, I think you can see that here too. There, there's just, there's just an appetite for good, for good. I don't know about good, but what's the word I need to look, need to, need to use to describe these. I mean, high end, super high end. Yeah. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before, but, you know, when you take a look at the ultra high end, the ultra high end um, SUV market, the Bentegas, the um, Cullinans, and maybe even, I don't know, maybe the Aston Martin DBX, a lot of those guys entered this space, that space, made those products because a lot of their shoppers were, were preferring to get these Range Rovers um, and driving their Range Rovers rather than those. Um, sedan versions of those of those vehicles like the the flying spur or the continental or the rolls-royce ghost what well, do you right? think do you think a range rover sport is the same customer as a rolls-royce or a bentley customer i don't think so i think that's the biggest that's the biggest departure right is that the range rover sport is this whole tier below okay yeah and has to somehow manage the prestige of the better product and it's a really difficult thing to do i don't I think mean, it fully executes it but it's it's true i mean like if you think about it it's really it's really in an awkward spot between the defender and the range rover right because the defender is outside the range rover family yeah. for all intents and purposes but and it's an icon on its own right? yeah and it seems to be aimed at the same customer as the range rover sport it's like 
again, off-road experience, and but it has kind of the more hardcore image that has mm-hmm. that heritage with it. Range Rover Sport was kind of filling that gap when the Defender was only sold in Europe. So it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I now that you mention it, it really does seem like an, a difficult position for this particular nameplate. I mean, the Defender, if you want to trust, if you if you believe you can get one at this price, it apparently starts at $53,000. And while the Range Rover starts, the Range Rover Sport starts at eighty three. That's a $30,000 difference. But I mean, I where, does the the cabin, ra- where does the four-door ra- Defender start? Because that would be the actual competition. Let's, let's take a look. Um, because I do think that the Range Rover Sport is a little bit more luxurious than, um, I, it seems like 68 is the, oh no, here we go. You know, you can get a four-door for 53. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. I, I, I agree with you. I think the Range Rover Sport is much more... Um, but you have to remember this de- Defender would come in with that, with those steel wheels. Yeah, it is a it is a low spec. I mean, even yeah. in the high spec, it's a low spec. And a, and a four-cylinder somehow. But that doesn't mean people don't like it because we've seen nope. how many people have latched on to like the Maverick and the Bronco with the steel wheels too. It's, it's yeah, kind yeah. of a trend right now, which I think is why it's on Defender. So you've got this, you're, you're actually, you're bringing up a really good point. You've got this, I think an icon in the Range Rover, you've got an icon in the Defender and the sport, which used to have like a niche carved out for it. A lot of people liked the sport, I think, and found it to do a little bit of everything due to that three row setup, the off-road capability, the powertrain was really cool. Now you've kind of like, you've kind of contracted a little bit. On well, what the Range Rover Sport is. I think, you know, you might have hit the nail on the head by saying that it had a niche. And I think that that niche was, I can't afford the Range Rover, but I can afford something that looks very much like it and is mm-hmm. still a good vehicle for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're in a world where there's more choice, even yep. from Land Rover. And mm-hmm. it's kind of diluting that a little bit. So I don't know if that niche exists anymore. Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it to me. Um, I, I, I was impressed with some of the things it can do. I think the overall product is better than it used to be, but I am a fan of the, of the X5 in this segment. Yeah, the X5 and, is a fantastic vehicle and has so many compelling additions. And if you get an $80,000 X5, you've got yourself a really good X5. Yeah. And right? I even, I love the, I mean, I've gone on record many times of saying I love the plug-in hybrid X5. I think it's the best version of this the This does have more range than that though. Uh, the plug-in version of of the of the um what did i drive sport <laughs> range rover sport does have a significant amount more more range than the um than the x5 so if that's something you're into and i was very impressed with how much range this does have 48 miles again um with dc fast charging support although it's not it's not too fast that's that was my impression man all right is there anything else you want to talk about this week sammy nothing i want to talk about but we like you know Let's do a lightning round. There's just two things. No. Uh, so there was a there was a fake Detroit Auto Show this week. Um, <laughs> oh wow! I say fake because the media day was like four hours in the morning, which was cut in half because uh, the President Biden visited the show and they ended up essentially um, evacuating <laughs> evacuating the show floor while he was there. So the journalists who did attend didn't really get a chance to see many of the vehicles. Um, in any case. I also mentioned fake show because a lot of automakers decided not to go. It's kind of transitioned into a consumer show rather than a media show. So there weren't a lot of unveilings, but there are two that we're going to do in a lightning round. Sammy, are you ready for these? Uh, I know one of them. What's the other one? The first one is 2024 Ford Mustang. Yeah, I know all about this. Everyone was waiting for it. We're not going to dive into, into it too much because Ford didn't give us a lot of details except... It looks a lot like a refresh rather than an all-new vehicle. It yeah. also looks a lot like a Camaro. Um, <laughs> it's not the, not the most graceful evolution of the Mustang experience. It looks big. It's kind of chunky. Uh, it has the same engines as before with a little bit more power and no more manual for the EcoBoost. Sammy, what are your thoughts? No, there's something that we need to talk about here. There's a feature here. That is a, there's two features here. Okay. A drift, electronic drifting brake. I don't know what that means. Sounds super dangerous. And another great one, um, remote rev. Which oh, no. You rev your Mustang's engine via a key fob. Uh, I can't wait. I said this earlier to Sammy. I can't wait until that feature is hacked and you just, you're driving by a Ford dealership and it's just filled with Mustangs remotely being revved by some server farm in like Eastern Europe. I think that's going to be incredible. 
Look, they needed to modernize the Mustang. Um, it, it was starting to look a little stale. And I'm not sure this is the way to do it. The cabin looks really low rent. The exterior looks um, uh, un unoriginal, I think is the best way to describe it. You called it, it looks like a like a Camaro. I don't think you're the only person saying that. And then you've got this really these really weird gimmicky features that take away from what a Mustang can be, which and, is affordable performance. And uh, nothing nothing will fun. will modernize your engine like revving it while it's cold using a remote. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it just seems like the worst possible it's idea. It's like the easiest way to get people to hate automotive enthusiasts. Why do like, I want to rev it when I'm not around? I want to hear it. Like, <laughs> is it... Is this specifically to annoy someone that you exactly. like you park it on a rival street in front of their house and then you remote rev at 3 a.m. and you have plausible deniability because there's a photo of you like at a bar somewhere yeah, else? I have an alibi. Yeah, yes. it just seems odd. <laughs> okay, what's the second car? The second car is the Chrysler 300 question mark. I don't know what they're calling it, but it's coming back with a 6.4 liter or 392 cubic inch engine, Sammy. It's been a super long time since there's been a V8 Chrysler 300. Um, and now it's going to have the most V8 and it's some kind of like, I think it's 2023 and it's like a farewell edition. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Chrysler 300 C with the 6.4, 475 horsepower. This has been done before, right? They used to do this. Yeah, all they the used time. To, there was the 6.1, <laughs> and um, I don't know if it got the 6.4 because that engine came a little bit later, and I think by then Chrysler might have transitioned the vehicle away from performance. But I know in Europe the SRT Chrysler 300 lasted like a lot longer than it did in America because I don't think Dodge had an outlet there. I don't think they were selling Dodges really. I think you could import them like the pickups. I have seen a lot of the Dodge pickups over there, but I think it was like mostly Jeep and Chrysler. And what what was the the uh, Alfa Romeo version of, what was it called? There was like a 300 with an Alfa grill or something like that, or Fiat. Ooh, that sounds like an awful idea. I've seen a few of those as well. They also made a Chrysler version of the Dodge as uh, the Dodge Magnum Wagon, which might wow. have been called the Theta. I don't know. Anyway, it was sold in Europe as well. So the, the, I have no feelings about this. This is, I, I can't believe that they haven't finished the production of this. It is um, a very popular rental vehicle. I mean, yes. this is the same and reason. And it's not that bad. I don't think it's that bad. No, right? it's not bad. It's just dated. I mean, that's if you're okay with that, then, you know, and if you're a rental company, you don't really care that it's dated. You care that it's reliable, big, and people are going to you know, actually want to drive it. Yeah. Okay. I think okay. that covers the lightning round. Very quick lightning round. Sammy, if people wanted to get in touch with us and give us their own lightning round questions, how would they do that? They would head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and they'd fill out the contact form there. Or they can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Now, if all of that sounds unappealing to you, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And uh, while you're over at our website, you can check out all of our previous episodes. You can take a look at the photos of the cards that we've recently um, submitted. And um, what else can you do with the website? You can you subscribe can, to you us. You can subscribe to us. There are little, um, I guess you could call them buttons, Sammy, that will take yeah. you to all the popular podcasters that are out there. I mean, you can find us on Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, all that stuff. If you want to just search for us on your podcatcher, you can find us there too. It's super easy. Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Click and all of it happens. I also want to say you can um, send us a little bit of cash our way if you want to tip us. If you enjoy the podcast, you can do that at ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We want to thank listener Robert who got yep. it, who reached out and did that last week. It means a lot. Um, thank you for doing that. And we're happy that you're enjoying what we're putting out there. Yes, thanks, Rob. We appreciate it. And if you want to be appreciated like we appreciate Rob, you can uh, tip us on Ko-Fi. But honestly, we appreciate everybody, whether they do tip us or not. Don't let Sammy's not, you know, he sounds. No, but you know what? If you if you comment, if you send us a message, we appreciate you just the same way. Trust me. Yeah, we love we love hearing from people, and it's it's always fun to uh, talk about what you our audience wants us to be talking about. Sammy, there's one more thing that I want to mention before. I know. Oh, I was going to see if we were going to take it into the next week's episode. No, okay, let's this do podcast it. is going a little bit long, but um, I I got my Datsun back on the track this weekend. Uh, the head the, is fixed. Yeah, so the head's been fixed for a couple of months. For those of you who, who might not be aware, I have a 1978 Datsun 280Z as a track car. I know actually we've had some uh, a, a listener reach out to me last month 
to tell me about their Datsun 510s down in Florida, which are super cool. Um, one's a street car, one's more of a performance car. In any case, I cracked the head on my Datsun back in May, and it was really difficult to find a replacement. Uh, a friend of the show, um, Jamie, reached out from um, down south of the border, helped me with the head. We got out of the car, uh, had it rebuilt, kind of Frankenstein my old head with, with the new head. All of this to say, I haven't had a chance to put it on a racetrack until recently, and I was at Watkins Land International in New York State, which is a beautiful track. It's really a high horsepower track, which my car is not, um, but it's still a lot of fun to drive. But there's one, something about the weekend. Uh, it was rainy, it was sunny, a lot of different, a lot of different conditions going on. But I had a realization, Sammy. Sammy, you have an FRS, right? Yep. The so, 2013 Scion FRS, yes. So there are a lot of FRSs and BRZs on the racetrack almost every nice. time I go because they're they're a lot of fun. And typically, uh, so we're a point by club, the one that I run with. It's called Com Sports Car Club. And that means that if someone wants to pass you, you you give them a point by out the window, tell them which side they want to go on, and they go on their merry way. It's just a more organized way to handle yep. passing. So normally, whenever I point by a BRZ or an FRS, I don't have to lift off the throttle. They're usually able to accelerate past me. Um, mm-hmm. At Watkins Glen, I kept pointing by FRSs and BRZs, and they either couldn't get by me or they got by me at the last minute or carried the pass into a corner, which is kind of a big no-no. I had a few conversations with the drivers who were understandably concerned that I wasn't lifting. That's when I had the realization, Sammy, that I think my car is a little bit different now. Huh. I what th- do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I think that adds up. If you had a cracked head, you had a worn-out car... Um, that engine might not have been performing at peak at peak. Yeah, levels, so because right? we had it on a dyno for tuning just before the replacing the head, and um, it was putting out about 145 horsepower at the wheels, which is not a huge amount of power, right? But the 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 FRS is so that's 170 at the crank, and the FRS is about 200 205 at the crank. It should yeah. be a car that can get by me, but this new head seems to have added life to my Tatsun, and I'm going to have to adjust how I drive and how I interact with other cars out there. So I just thought that was kind of a fun story. Like, I did not even think that putting a new head on my car would give me more performance. I thought it would just fix the crack problem. <laughs> and it did fix the crack problem, but it has introduced a, a basically a big refresh of what was a 44-year-old engine. Very cool. I'm glad to hear that. And... Um... I'm glad to hear that that your Datsun's killing it out there on the track. It was a lot of fun. It's it's. I was saying it's not a horsepower. It's a high horsepower track. My car at this track, in top of fourth gear, which is like 6,500 RPM. I, I I'm doing about 107 miles per hour, and I I don't really accelerate past that. I can put it in fifth gear, which is an overdrive gear, and I yeah. don't really get much more speed there. So um, there are a lot of cars that are much 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 faster than that, right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like I love how the track flows. It has some of the best flow of any track I've been to in the Northeast. But it's like it's not specific to my car. Like my car is not ideal for it. Yet I still have a good time. Very cool. Um, next week, what are we talking about, Ben? I'm going to be talking about the. What am I going to be talking about, Sammy? You go first. I'm going to be talking about the Volvo S90 PHEV that I I teased last last time. I'm going to be talking about the Lexus LX600, which is the redesigned version of the largest SUV slash off-road vehicle you can get from that brand. Nice. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about this next week, and uh, hopefully everyone tunes back in after after this week. After a cluttered, chaotic podcast. Yes. Thank you for listening, everybody. And my mishaps on the trail, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye from Ghost World.